the, the challenge we have today is confronting sin. You know, a lot of people don't know how to confront sin. Okay, and uh, some do it the wrong way. Uh, but today we're going to look at how we are to confront sin, and uh, and uh, and as a result, uh, benefit from God's uh, choice blessings as a result. When you were a child, the question number one: When you were a child, how did you know you were in trouble? <laughs> When you disobey your parents, how do you know? How do you know when you do something wrong? You saw the stick coming. Mom and Dad's mouth open wide. Okay, when he had a mouth open wide. When you look at him. They call you by both your names. By, by all your names. And they call you by all your names. Joseph, Joseph, whatever. You know you're in trouble. Okay. When you see the bell coming. Or when you see the stick. Okay, but we all have an indication of when we know we're in trouble, right? Okay, let's look at the um, page 100. Uh, the Bible meets life. Let's, uh, can someone read that, please? The Bible meets life. Where do you go and <coughs> My father used to ask me that when I was a boy and with good reason. I had a habit of making the same mistake twice. Years later, I catch myself asking my own children the same question. I'm sure they will do the same with their kids. Ours isn't the only family to repeat this pattern. In fact, we all experience the consequences of repeated mistakes. Another thing my father used to say was, those who ignore history are doomed to repeat it. That's an old saying, of course, of course. It goes back a few hundred years in our language, but examples of that truth and action go back much further. The book of Daniel provides such an example. A pagan king who failed to learn from the failings of another king before him. Had he only paid attention, he could have avoided much pain and loss. More than just a fascinating story from the pages of scripture, this event challenges us to consider how we deal with our sin, not to mention the sins of others. Okay, so notice the point at the top of the page. Call sin what it is and point to what God says about it. Know anybody who does that? Called, many times we are intimidated by the sins people do, and we don't call sin what it is. We look the other way, or we skirt the issue, or we do something else to avoid it. But the challenge is, call sin what it is, and point to what God says about it. In other words, you see somebody committing a sin, you uh, let them know that, you know, God says this is a sin. Let me show you where God said that. And you reiterate to them where God says this is a sin. Because sometimes people don't, don't, don't like to take your word for it. They want, they want evidence? Alternative lifestyles. Alternative lifestyles is one of them. Okay, and we need to constantly point out to people uh, what God says about the sins that they're committing in their lives. But of course, you know, we're living in a time where for some people it really doesn't matter what God says. Because God is irrelevant. God is outdated. You know, God don't make sense anymore these days. Okay? God has been relegated to the archives of antiquity. 
And so he doesn't really mean anything to people, except when they get in trouble. And everybody starts calling, oh Lord, oh God. Uh, the, the last shooting they had in the States, there were the big headlines in one of the papers that said, God isn't fixing this, or why doesn't God fix this? Anybody saw that? It was a big headline. You know, how could God fix something when you rule him out? Yeah, I saw also in the news that Mississippi has, has brought prayer back in the classroom. Okay, that's a good start. But how could God fix something when you don't want to have anything to do with them other than when you get in trouble? Okay, let's look at the passage. Someone read verses 17 to 21, please, on page 101. Then Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts and give your rewards to someone else. However, I will read the inscription for the king and make the interpretation known to him. Your majesty, the most high God, gave sovereignty, greatness, glory, and majesty to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. Because of the greatness he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages were terrified and fearful of him. He killed anyone he wanted and kept alive anyone he wanted. He exalted anyone he wanted and humbled anyone he wanted. Uh -huh. Go ahead. Verse 21. But when his heart was exalted and his spirit became arrogant, he was disposed from his royal throne, deposed from his royal throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven away from the people. His mind was like an animal's. He lived with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with dew from the sky until he acknowledged that the Most High God is ruler over the kingdom of men and says anyone he wants over it. Okay. A couple of things you need to be mindful of as you read this context. Nebuchadnezzar died in 562 BC and was succeeded by a number of many different kings came after him, uh, including Belshazzar, the last Babylonian king. The opening verses of chapter 5 show Belshazzar's unbridled arrogance. With the army of Darius, the king of the Medes and the Persians camped near Belshazzar's capital, Belshazzar held a great feast for about a thousand people. Anybody a party that big? Thousand of his nobles, according to verse 1. The king celebrated with gusto. Wine flowed liberally among his guests. The impaired judgment and impending folly Belshazzar ordered in his with, with, with it, his judgment impaired because of the drinking. In other words, he was intoxicated and he wasn't thinking straight. And so his judgment uh, was impaired and it caused him to think foolishly. He ordered the sacred vessels taken from Jerusalem to ne by Nebuchadnezzar to be used in the celebrations that were going on. In other words, they took all the sacred vessels that were used in the worship of the temple and they used them to party. His command was outrageous sacrilege. Silver and golden goblets once used for holy worship in the temple, Balshasar decided to use them for exalting the pagan gods that they served. Tremendous sacrilege. And so when we look at verses 17 to 18, we note that <coughs> Without a doubt, Belshazzar 
knew the history of his predecessor Nebuchadnezzar. There's no way he couldn't knew because these people are stories. They wrote down everything. Okay, all the records were there. That's one thing they were good at. They wrote everything down. They were good historians. And so he had to have known uh, of the things that his predecessor Nebuchadnezzar did. But he did not heed the lesson. In other words, he didn't learn from Nebuchadnezzar's mistakes. Consequently, God invaded his party. In other words, God crashed his party. Uh, See, so people are not the only ones who crash party. God crashed his party. Uh, and uh, we notice the words in verse 5. At that moment, those words are significant. God crashed the celebration when the king acted with blasphemy. His behavior was blasphemous and God said, okay, that's enough. Enough is enough. At that moment, Balthazar abused, at that moment, Balthazar abused the vessels of God that God had designed for his holy service. God interrupted the festival. Suddenly, the disembodied fingers of a man's hand began writing on the wall of the palace ballroom. Boy, now, when you see something like that, I guess they think that it was the wine, right? They probably thought it was the wine. And they, some of them probably sobered up. In terror, Belshazzar asked his wise men to interpret the meaning of the message. He promised exquisite clothing and fine gold jewelry as well as a position in his kingdom for anybody who could explain and interpret this disembodied hand writing on the wall. A hand with no body. Eventually Daniel was summoned because everybody heard of Daniel's reputation and Daniel was summoned to interpret what has happened. Okay, let's have someone read the passages, the paragraphs on page uh, 30. What is it? Page 102? Go ahead, anybody? In Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar was the ruler of Babylon. In Daniel 5, Nebuchadnezzar had been dead for about 23 years. Worse, Babylon's capital city was surrounded by the combined armies of the Medes and Persians. The city's fate was in the hand of the new king, Belshazzar. When your city is surrounded by the enemy, what do you do? If you're Belshazzar, you throw a body. Apparently, <laughs> Belshazzar and the rest of the Babylonians felt perfectly safe, despite the vast army outside their gates. That's because the city walls were over 300 feet high, over 80 feet wide, and boasted more than 250 guard towers. Mm. The city had been running water and enough food for 20 years. The people felt secure. Mm. That's when Belshazzar saw the writing on the wall. Literally, at that moment, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and began writing on the plaster of the king's palace wall. No one could tell Belshazzar the meaning of the words, but Daniel could and did. Starting in verse 17, Daniel remind, reminded Belshazzar of the actions of his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. 
God had made that Nebuchadnezzar great, given him fame, fortune, and victory everywhere he went. But when Nebuchadnezzar's spirit became arrogant, the sovereign God judged him. The king's throne and his glory were taken from him. For seven years he lived like an animal. Nebuchadnezzar faced judgment until he acknowledged the Most High God, and only then did God graciously restore him. Those who ignore history are doomed to repeat it. Belshazzar was about to experience a repeat of God's judgment. Okay. And notice, these people felt secure because the walls were 300, not 30, 300 feet high and over 80 feet thick. They had 250 guard towers and they had enough food in that city to last them for 20 years. Big major operation, major operation. No wonder they felt secure. Okay, everything was cool. Everything was made. But notice the last two paragraphs. Nebuchadnezzar faced judgment until he acknowledged the most high God. No matter how secure you felt, he faced judgment until he acknowledged who God was. And only then did God graciously restore him. And then, of course, that old age-old adage, those who ignore history are doomed to repeat it. And that still happens today. It still happens today. Many of us here probably have experienced that, and we can testify of times when that has happened. Balthazar was about to experience a repeat of God's judgment. Question number two. Why do people often fail to make the connection between sin and its consequences? Why do people, you would think that, you know, when before someone does something wrong, the thought would come across their mind, what would happen if I do this? Don't we think like that? We think like that, right? If I, if I run this red light, you don't, you don't see the police, you know. You don't normally see them. But they show up. As soon as you do something wrong, they show up. Okay, but do we often think of the consequences before we do something? Most people do. So the question is, why do we often fail to make the connection between sin and its consequences? We know what the consequences of sin is. Why do we fail to make the connection? Anybody? Because we don't call sin sin. Because we don't call sin sin. We say, go and and everybody else is doing it and getting away with it, so probably I'll get away with it too. Arrogance and pride. Okay, you may be surprised at the bluntness of Daniel's words to Belshazzar, but we'll see in verse 23, verse 22, 23, he was just getting warmed up with that response. So let's read verse 22. And 23, page 101. But you, his successor, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this. Instead, you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. The vessels from his house were brought to you. And as you and your nobles, wives, and concubines drank wine from them, you praise the gods made of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, 
which do not see or hear or understand, but you have not glorified the God who holds your life breath in his hand and who controls the whole course of your life. Notice, Daniel didn't hesitate to personally confront Belshazzar. He didn't hesitate. He didn't say, boy, this fellow is the king. I can't, I can't approach him because of his sin. Mm -mm. The prophet aimed for a verdict at a crisis moment. He emphasized the contrast between Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. Both men walked in pride and both men wallowed in their sin. And he made that very clear to them. Nebuchadnezzar, however, repented. And he acknowledged the supremacy of God. While Belshazzar continued to re revel in his transgressions. He figured that he was so big that nobody could touch him. And so the opening words in verse 22, but you draw attention to the striking difference between the two men. Daniel confronted Belshazzar with two specific accusations. First, Daniel said to the king, you have not humbled your heart even though you knew all this. Now, you know the consequences of your actions, but you have not humbled your heart. No doubt, Belshazzar had heard the story of Nebuchadnezzar seven years being banished, made to eat like an animal, grazing in the fields. He, he knew the story. He knew all of that. Uh, his twisted behavior and what resulted in it. And there's no substantial evidence to indicate that Belshazzar had first-hand knowledge about Nebuchadnezzar's humiliation. Since Belshazzar's father was an official in Nebuchadnezzar's administration or in his cabinet. Furthermore, it is likely he heard about God's discipline of Nebuchadnezzar and God's restoration of him. Somewhere along the line, he heard about Nebuchadnezzar and what he did and what God did to him because of his hostility toward God. Okay, let's look at the paragraphs on page 103. Daniel issued a stinging rebuke to Belshazzar. The king had witnessed the last years of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. But you, his successor, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart even though you knew all this. Verse 22. Daniel was very specific. Hmm? Go ahead. You are his successor, O Belshazzar, and you know all this. Yet you have not humbled yourself, for you have proudly defiled the Lord of heaven, and had these cups from his temple brought before you. You and your nobles and your wives and concubines have been drinking wine from them, while praising God of, God of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Gods that neither see nor hear nor know anything at all, but you have not honored the God who gives you the breath of life and controls your destiny. So God has sent this, sent this hands to write this message. This is the message that was written. Okay. That's a little bit clearer, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Not only did he take the, 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 the vessels, the, the holy vessels, 
and use him in his novels, but he used all his sweet arts and his novels, and people drink out of him too. Well, how bad could it get? Total arrogance. But notice, Daniel was specific in identifying the ways Belshazzar had sinned against God. He wasn't, he wasn't general in his approach. He was very specific in how he sinned, and that's how we need to be. When a person does something wrong, when they sin, we need to be very specific and zero in on the specific sin that they had committed, not speaking generalities. Pride. Nebuchadnezzar was prideful and arrogant as Nebuchadnezzar was. The older king repented of his pride, but Belshazzar never did. Second point, blasphemy. Belshazzar exalted himself against the God of heaven by using the sacred vessels from the temple to drink wine and blaspheme God. Idolatry. Belshazzar had seen the power of the Most High, God, through the events of Nebuchadnezzar's life. Yet he deliberately chose to worship false gods and to use the sacred things of God in the process. And then the third point, failure to glorify the true God. Belshazzar did not glorify God who gives life and controls the universe. Our own nation has also become prideful and arrogant. The secular has become more important than the spiritual. We are losing our moral compass because we have created a culture in which everyone is encouraged to do what is right in their own eyes. We are guilty before God. The hand of God was on Daniel. And I believe he spoke the truth in love and sincerity. In that moment, Belshazzar was confronted by a hard lesson. Be sure your sin will catch up with you. You may truly learn. May we truly learn that lesson before it's too late. It was too late for Belshazzar, but it's not too late for any of us. Question number three. Now we notice the bullet list in that, uh, on that, that those three items that we mentioned already. Uh, they highlight the four ways that Belshazzar had sinned against God. Pride, blasphemy, idolatry, and failure to glorify God. People are still doing that today. Okay, and some of them are at the peak of arrogance when they do it. You know, it's like they're shaking their fists in God's face when they do it. Question number three. What are the pros and cons of being honest with people about their sin? What are the pros and cons of being honest with people about their sin? What are the good and the bad? Because that determines whether we confront them about their sin or not. Well, oftentimes when we are about to confront someone about their sin, we consider the pros and the cons. And the pros and the cons determine whether we are going to do it or not. Okay, so what are the pros and cons? Okay. Most people can tell you mind your own business. Okay, or what that get to do with you? Okay. Um like you know, what else is that? 
Some people will say, my sin, my problem. Yeah. Okay, yeah. nothing to do with you. Okay, what else? The Okay, some will affect, uh, accept you in love, and some will rebuke you with hatred. Okay. I was just going to say is that they might be thankful that you chose them. Some would. Some would. Some would. Some would. Some will take an offense to it. Okay. Okay, so there are pros and cons when it comes to confronting people or being honest with people about their sin. But it doesn't necessarily mean that we should not do it. Okay? Uh, whenever you do it, you may make that person more aware that they're doing something that they may not be aware that, they're, that, it's, that it's as wrong as it is from a biblical perspective. Because uh, some people think that uh, when they do something wrong, it's not necessarily as wrong as the Bible says it is. I think you need to be careful. I don't think you need to do it in a condemning way, but just in love, tell me. Right, you, you, you don't do it in a condemning way, and you don't do it in a way where it comes across to the person as you are better than them. Yeah. Yeah. Because you, you, that's, that's where you're going to go wrong. But notice the, 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 the thing says, it says, our own nation has become prideful and arrogant. The secular has become more important than the spiritual. And we're seeing that today. We're losing our moral compass because we've created a culture in which everyone is encouraged to do what is right in his or her own eyes. We are guilty before God. So if a person thinks that's right for them, they go ahead and do it. And nobody can tell them otherwise. Question number four. Why is it important to grasp the seriousness of sin and its consequences? Why is it important to grasp the seriousness of sin and its consequences? Because the consequences can be very and very uh, serious. And they're going to come anyway. Okay, so whether you ignore it or not, the consequences are going to come. Okay, and it could be very devastating. Okay. And this, history tells us that the nations that have forgotten God have been destroyed or punished and we're on the threshold of that. Oh, yeah. We're right on the doorstep. Yes. We're right on the doorstep. And if we don't change, how can walk in with just a warning? You know, imagine what have happened if that had hit here. This is the central government. This is where all the help comes from. So if that had hit here, everybody else would have been in trouble. So that's just a warning. And I trust that our leaders would see it as that uh, and not just say it was a teachable moment but grasp it as a teachable moment a moment that they can learn from okay so as we conclude verses 24 to 28 we'll see exactly what the handwriting on the wall meant for Balshazan and his Babylonians but let's look at the um, the exercise assess, personal assessment obedience on page 105 how comfortable do you feel about confronting sin in the lives of those you care about? Mark your answer on the scale below. Not comfortable? Very comfortable. Okay? 
how comfortable do you feel confronting sin in the lives of those persons that you care about? Are you comfortable doing it? Not comfortable or very comfortable? Hmm? Very comfortable. Very comfortable. Uh, the auntie says she's very comfortable in doing so. Anybody else very comfortable doing so? Sometimes it depends on what it is. Sometimes it depends on what it is. <laughs> okay. Huh? If you love them, you'll tell them. Okay, if you really care about them, then you really tell them what they're doing wrong because, of course, you see what the consequences is. You know what the consequences is. They may not know. So if you care about them, you really care about them, and you know what the consequences are, then you should be very comfortable in telling them. Yeah, you are. You definitely you're doing it in love because love is behind the care that you have. Okay. What are the consequences of feeling too comfortable with confronting sin in the lives of others? Okay. What are the consequences of feeling too comfortable with confronting sin in the lives of others? Oh, when I tell you that love, hmm? that's not what they say. Like, I mean, they, you might feel comfortable with confronting, but they may not appreciate you telling them about it. They may think you're judging them. Right. And most people take it that way. Most people take it about that way. That you're judging them, and you're saying to them, you are better than they are. You are Mr. Perfect or Mrs. Perfect. You're Mrs. Sin sinless. And they are Mr. or Mr. Sinful. Okay, the consequence of feeling too comfortable in confronting sin in the lives of others uh, is that when, when they face the consequences, it impacts you too. How bad do you feel when you know that somebody's doing something wrong and you don't tell them? And then they face the consequences. Doesn't it affect you too? Because, boy, I should have told them. I mean, you knew what the consequences are, but you didn't tell them, and then they face the consequences of how does it make you feel? What are the consequences of refusing to confront sin? And of course, we know what the consequences are there. And then not only that, to put an irony on it, when they find out that you knew what the consequences is, and you could have told them, and you didn't tell them. All hell broke loose on you. You knew that. Why didn't you tell me? You see, so it's better to confront in love, let them know anyway, and face whatever the re response is you're going to get. Is it not our obligation as We do. Yes, it is. It is our, our obligation as believers. If we see somebody going out over to head over a cliff, and you know there's a cliff there. It's our obligation to stop them. You can try, try. I can tell you that because I know with Chris before he leaves my house, I say, Chris, don't go. And I cry from Calvary Bible Church, from who made this admission, Calvary Bible Church. And I cry. I say, Lord, I see it. He can see it. When I went to prison, R and I said, he said, Mommy, it's good to tell them, right? Yeah. It's good to tell them. They'll see, see that they may end up seeing the consequences themselves, but they would have known that you told them. You care enough about them to tell them. Okay. All right, the passage is on page 101, uh, verses 24 to 28. Someone read those verses, please. 
Okay, now notice who the Medes and the Persians are. See that little uh, index there on the side? The Medes and the Persians give us a, a definition of who they were. A coalition of peoples representing the empires of Media Persia, united by the leadership of Cyprus, or Cyrus the Great. On the world map today, it would roughly include Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, and portions of Southeast Turkey. And we know what's happening in those places now, right? Okay, so those were the countries that made up the Medes and the Persians. Those are the people who were against him. Powerful nations. Okay, let's look at the uh, paragraphs then on page uh, 104. Gives another highlight of those words. According to Daniel 5 8, not even the king's wise men were able to read the words written on the wall, nor did they understand their significance. Daniel read and interpreted the message to show God's message, God's response to Balthasar's sins. Meaning, as mentioned already, the word meant counted or numbered. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. We have a common saying, your number is up. That surely was the case for Belshazzar and Babylon. The word appeared twice to mark the certainty of the judgment and the reason is given in the next word, Tekel. The word meant weighed or weighed. You have been weighed in the balance and found deficient. Balshazzar had been weighed on God's scales and did not measure up. Perez. This is a plural for the word passing, which means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Due to Balshazzar's idolatry and disobedience, the Babylonian Empire would be destroyed and fade into history. You probably won't see any divine writing on the walls in today's culture, but God has communicated his truth to us through his word. As Christians, then, we have a responsibility both to reflect and proclaim that truth to others. Notice, we have a responsibility. It's not, well, if you feel like it. We have a responsibility. We know what a responsibility is, right? All of us have responsibilities, right? So we know what it means. So we have a responsibility both to reflect it and proclaim it, that truth, to other people. The world is reeling in confusion and unbelief, and we have the opportunity to present God's truth in love. Key word there is in love. Make no mistake, doing so often begins with confronting sin. And that's a very uncomfortable feeling sometimes to, to have to do that, but it has to be done. What did you say? Man, it's a daily job, but somebody got to do it. 
Okay, reading on. Sin brings judgment. But let's not stop there. We must also proclaim the best news ever given. The hope available in Jesus Christ. All people can find freedom and forgiveness at the cross of Christ. Many modern cultures are traveling the same road as ancient Babylon. Join me in proclaiming and witnessing to the answer we find in Christ. His hope, his forgiveness, and his salvation. Okay, notice. The Babylonian wise men couldn't understand the significance of the Aramaic words. Those words that God proclaimed, they did not have a clue what they meant. And the words represent three weights or units of money. Meaning, meaning, TKL Parson. They represent three weights of units of money. Their meaning was unmistakably linked to Belshazzar and his leadership. Meaning referred to counting and numbering. It was repeated on the wall to emphasize its severity. Now, anytime we, we, we want to emphasize something, we repeat it, right? And that's why meaning is repeated there. It's emphasizing the severity of the action. TK referred to measuring and weighing something. Parson indicated something was broken and in half or divided. And so the message that uh, God communicated to Nebuchadnezzar was very, very clear. Question number five. How do we balance talking about the judgment of sin with the forgiveness that God offers? How do we balance the two? Okay, uh, most, in most cases you could say, well, what people normally do is, well, you know, I've got some good news, I've got some bad news. Which one do you want first? Okay, that's one way of doing it. The balance between the two. Bad news is judgment because of sin. The good news is that God offers forgiveness for sin. Okay, so if you kind of feel bad about, you know, confronting a person about sin, that's one way of approaching it. Listen, I've got some good news and bad news. The bad news is you've committed some sins. You've got some sins in your life. Okay? The good news is that God can handle that. God could deal with that. Okay? It shouldn't make you feel so bad. People like to have an option, right? Good news and bad news. But when someone comes to you and says, boy, I got bad news. You know, you, you don't know how to take that. Okay? There's no good in that. Okay, let's look then at the... Uh, Live it out, page 106. See how we live out these principles that God, that, that, that we've been given today in the lesson. What will you do this week to be faithful in telling the truth about sin? That's the question that all of us are confronted with. Consider the following suggestions. Confront your own sin. That's number one. You start with that. Okay, remember they said when you point one finger, there are four others point, three others pointing back at you. So it says, confront you and say, be honest with sin, be honest with sin, being honest with sin must begin in your own heart. Confess any sin or sinful patterns that have lingered in recent weeks. Take steps to turn away from your sin and turn back to Christ. So before you confront somebody with your sin, you need to deal with yours first. I need to deal with mine first. And then we can deal with others or confront others. Number two, speak out among your friends and family. 
We don't do our loved ones any favors by ignoring their sinful patterns. We may think we do. Sin is damaging and destructive. Therefore, commit to speaking the truth in love when you observe something potentially damaging in the lives of those you care about. And that's something that just Brenda mentioned to, alluded to when she talked about a situation with Chris. We must do that. And then number three, speak out in your community. Spend some time researching in order to identify a specific partner of oppression or injustice within your community. Join with others in making plans to raise awareness of the issue and move toward a solution. Okay, so join with others to identify the problem. And then finally, wrapping it up, when we are going to, when are, when are you going to learn? The reality is that we'll never fully learn to control our sinful behaviors, not on this side of eternity, anyway. Yet, we can help ourselves and others by honestly communicating what God has made clear about sin. Okay, amen? Mm -hmm.